Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala. And uh, today, um, if you saw the thumbnail, that is correct. I have my special guest with me, Saiten Bruggenkate, uh, who has been missing in action for a while, but he's going to share a little bit about uh, what's been going on with him. Um, and then we're going to jump right into our uh, our topic. And of course, we're going to be touching on other uh, more broader issues relating to presuppositional apologetics. So as you guys know, who follow my channel, uh, we talk about apologetics in general, presuppositional apologetics in particular. And today, presup is going to be our main focus. So um, if you've been blessed by the content of this channel, please like the video, share the video, uh, go on iTunes, write a positive review. If you enjoy the podcast, all those things are super helpful for me personally and encouraging uh, to know that folks are really uh, finding the content uh, beneficial. Uh, just real quick by way of announcement, um, as much as I'm super excited about my guest today, on February 16th, um, I'm also excited about um, my guest, Brant Bosserman, who um, was on the show a while back, but he um, is uh, going to come on with me to talk about the philosophical problem of the one and the many. And so Bosserman is an expert in the area of the Trinity and how that relates to presuppositionalism and how that relates to like the transcendental argument and demonstrating um, how we know um, it is the triune God that we're demonstrating when we're using a presuppositional forms of argumentation and things like that. So you are not uh, going to want to miss uh, that episode. That is February 16th, I believe 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So uh, definitely tune in for that. Now, real quick, before I invite I invite uh, Sai on the screen with me, um, as always, um, I'm going to be taking questions. So if you have any questions, um, put them in the comments and preface your question with question or cue, something that will help me differentiate uh, the questions and the comments. So I know that folks who haven't seen Sai for a while, you probably have a billion questions or uh, maybe a couple of questions, but uh, he, he'll be more than happy to uh, address them. So uh, without further ado, we've got a, a, a few people watching now, and um, let me invite Sai on the screen with me. How's it going, brother? Doing well, brother. <laughs> okay, so, so all right, so you and Bigfoot hold the championship, the title for hide and seek, right? Can't find Bigfoot. Folks haven't seen you around either, um, and I'm sure uh, folks are super curious as to um, how are you how are you doing. Um, you know what was going on. You can share as much as you'd like, or you know you don't have to go into too much details. But um, why don't you tell folks where you've been, how you've been, and uh, and then we'll take the conversation from there. Well, it's definitely been a, a roller coaster uh, over the last year for sure. And um, I first I want to start by thanking Eli for um, having me on today. I know that there's going to be some people that are going to be upset to see me. and uh, But by um, the response that I've been getting on Facebook and that the majority are very thankful to see me again. And um, I, I want to tell people that through this ordeal, I know that uh, Facebook is and can be a cesspool. But my Facebook friends, most of whom I've never met, have shown me uh, far greater support than people who have been close to me, who I would have expected it from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when the news broke almost a year ago to the day, it was my Facebook friends who um, who came forward. And at the time, the support for me was 100%. And they had no idea what had happened, why I had stepped away from ministry. And to this day, many people have no idea why I stepped away. And yet they supported me. They trusted me. And um, I'm so thankful for those people. You have no idea 
I mean, I saved all the comments before I deleted my page and uh, I have them and um, I'm just so thankful for the support that people have shown. And um, one thing I want to preface, like I have no qualms with people knowing exactly every to the minute detail why I stepped away. But there are people who will be very upset that I did. And I really don't, um, you know, I, I don't want to upset them, but um, I am an apologist. An apologist gives a defense. Now, one thing that I've found in this year of being away is that when you give a defense of things that are false, that um, people tend to think that you're not repentant of that which is true. So that's why I'm very reluctant to um, give a detailed account of what happened and, and what my defense is, because then there are elements out in the society who say that, well, you know, you're not, not repentant what was actually the case. But, you know, in a summary, and some of this I've shared in my statements, First of all, I want to say that I am here with the full support of my session and my new pastor. And when I say new pastor, I've seen atheists um, and people online think that I left my church, that um, I left my church, and that I'm under a, a new church now, and that they're much more easy on me than my previous church was. That's not the case. I am still attending the same church, but the pastor and session have changed since then for reasons that um, right now will be um, unnamed. But but they left and um, but I, as far as the details go, um, almost a year ago, I was contacted by people that I didn't know, mm. and um, they had brought up a relationship that I had, which started five years ago, and um, they said that um, there were things that happened in that relationship. Most of what they alleged was false, and some of what they alleged was indeed true. But what they had done is they took these false allegations and the true ones, and they shared them with dear friends of mine who are quite influential in the um, Christian community. And they said to me that if you do not end your ministry, we will go public. And these people are, you know, these friends of mine are fully behind this uh, exposition of you of being whatever. And if you don't, um, if you don't step down immediately, we're going to um, destroy you, destroy your, what, you know, whatever the case was. And I said to these, uh, to this fellow, I said, look, um, you're not my authority. The people that you contacted are not my authority either. You have to get in touch with my pastor. And I gave him my pastor's information. And my pastor sat down with the pastor that I was dealing with in uh, Texas and my session. And they thought, um, based on the accusation that they had heard, which I hadn't even seen, like the ac accusation from the person I hadn't seen. And I didn't actually see it for actually over a month. But they um, said that I should come home. And the statement that I posted on Facebook was that I was disqualified from ministry. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I wanted to say is the statement that I posted was verbatim what my pastor asked me to post. I wanted to say so much more, but um, I was not allowed to. And as much as um, that bothered me at the time, in retrospect, I'm very thankful for it. The Lord, you know, he works wonderfully. Because one thing that I, I think that if I had said more, then it would have appeared as though I was giving a defense against that which was true and that I was not repentant of that which was true. And so the fact that I didn't say anything, a lot of people came to my defense. A lot of people who know the details, and I know that you know the details as well, um, came to my defense. And that's, why, again, why I want to thank Eli, because you have been there from the beginning. I mean, we've talked, we've had conversations, and uh, it's been really wonderful. But so this was about um, a relationship that I had. Now, one thing I want to as well say to the people you know, who have followed me, who have loved me through this, and I'm so thankful for that. But I want to tell people, and the reason that I want to give this little bit of detail is not in defense, because I am guilty of that which I'm guilty. And I'm 100% 100 respo 100 responsible of that which I'm guilty of. 
But, you know, there are people who thought that my sin occurred while I was out doing my apologetics work, that I might be doing a talk one day or debate one day and then go and sin the next day. That was not the case. This woman that I had met and many of you know, and it was not my last relationship. You know, she was actually wonderful during this process, although our relationship mm -hmm. had ended prior to that. But um, um, so this the accusation, um, th this woman that I had met, um, I had given up my apologetics work to marry her. We were in a committed relationship that does not excuse our sin at all. It does not excuse our sin, but we were in a committed relationship and we sinned. We failed sexually, morally, we failed. And we repented of it at the time in tears. And that is not to give anybody license to sin. It was wicked. And 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 I think, you know, I, I can sympathize with people who think that fornication deserves a permanent disqualification from ministry. I sympathize with that. But one thing I want to state is that I'm not a pastor and I'm not an elder and I'm not a deacon. And I submit that I want people to show me in scripture why me as a and as somebody who answers apologetic questions or defends um, the faith in the public forum cannot do this after a sin that I've repented of. And I, I can sympathize with people who believe that that's the case. But I submitted 100 percent to my session. My session called me back to Canada. And the process was actually quite long. You know, they were doing investigation. They were looking into allegations. And I think that they were satisfied that the allegations, that the majority of them were not true, but the fornication was indeed true. Hmm. And they wrestled with whether I was um, barred permanently from doing anything with apologetics. And, you know, if they had uh, said that from the beginning, clearly people who know what's going on, um, they didn't see the statement from my pastor or the session from the beginning that that, that was the case. So they wrestled with it. And then um, sadly, shortly after um, my session actually was removed from the church, there was a statement made that I was no longer repentant. They'd, they'd already uh, given the public statement that I had repented. And there was a bit of a blow up at my church. And um, it was a really a sad situation, still a sad situation. But then it was handed over to the new session and the new pastor. And the blow up in my church had nothing to do with my situation. But I sat down with the new pastor, new session, and... Um, they were very uh, kind and, um, you know, they loved me and they, they went through this as well. And they affirmed um, that I was repented of this sin from, you know, however many years ago. And um, so, the, I mean, I was already restored from the previous session and they, they gave a statement recently. And I'm actually on, I have built a website in which I gave a defense of the false accusation, but I haven't shared publicly and I have no intention of sharing that publicly. Mm -hmm. If you go to Proverbs1817.com, that's Proverbs1817.com slash statement. You can see the statement from my pastor and session from the last meeting that I am restored. Now, as far as how ministry looks going forward, first of all, the one thing about my denomination is that what I do is not technically ministry because I'm not ordained. So I am just a regular member of my church. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon. So the question is, can you prevent regular members from going on YouTube and making a video? or evangelizing and somebody pulls out a camera and making a video. Now, there are some people who would argue that biblically that I'm disqualified from doing that. And I, I sympathize with that. I simply disagree with it. And, you know, they might cite that the elder and deacon, which I am not, needs to be beyond reproach. But I submit that that cannot mean without sin because then nobody could be an elder or a deacon. Now, um, one thing I shared with my previous pastor, too, if that means I'm disqualified permanently from being an elder or a deacon, although I would disagree with that, I can sympathize with that. But um, so with my church now, I'm a member in good standing. And uh, I asked my pastor specifically if I could have this conversation online about doubt. And um, yeah, he was actually enthusiastic about me going online. Now, um, Eli, you're a dear friend and a dear brother. 
you might get people come out and say, no, Sai, you should be out of this scene permanently. Mm. You know, I can sympathize that you might get, you know, even these friends of mine who have some influence might come out with a public statement. That's fine. I mean, they can do that. And um, I, I, what I, I don't shared, know who those people are. <laughs> but what I shared with these people is too, is that they will never be my enemy. Sure. And, um, and the thing is, people cannot make me feel worse about myself than I already do. You know, that's what Spurgeon said. When people speak ill of you, don't be angry because you're far worse than anything they can allege. And I believe that to be the case. And mm -hmm. um, people have said, well, what is your um, engagement with atheists going to look like in the future when they bring up this sin of yours? And, you know, even my pastor, he said, because they had a website, they had an email address available for anybody to email. And with any, if there are any other allegations, which there were none, by the way, it was this isolated incident. And he said, how should I respond to these people? I said, share the gospel with them. Mm -hmm. I said, what a wonderful opportunity to show what sin, repentance, and restoration looks like. And I believe that's the case as well. So if I go to a university campus and engage unbelievers, and they bring this instance up, I have no problem with that. I mean, prior to my the this um, apologetic work, I call it now absolute apologetics. Prior to that, I used to call it sinner ministries. Mm -hmm. And it was not that I was engaging sinners, is that I was the sinner. And my logo was a big eye with a plank in it. And then people said, well, you're not a sinner anymore. And uh, they said, technically, you're a saint who sins. And so I changed the name of the ministry. But I mean, you cannot speak worse of me than I already feel about myself. So, you know, that doesn't bother me. If people want to go online and say I'm this, I'm that. But I have a passion for sharing my faith. I have a passion for teaching, explaining to Christians how to share their faith biblically. And if, that, mm -hmm. if they feel that, you know, because of my sin, they don't want to hear from me anymore. Or they don't want me to uh, talk to them. That's fine. But most of my Facebook friends, uh, for example, have been 100% behind me. And I want to—I won't don't want to share the name of the family on whose property I'm now, but they have been incredible for me. They have been so loving and so kind. And uh, I really don't know uh, what I would have done without them. So if mm. they're watching, end up watching this, I want them to know how much I love them and, and um, thank them for this. And, and a lot of this, you know, my Patreon friends and my Patreon friends, actually, they've supported me through all this. And uh well, uh, 25% of them have. And, um, <laughs> and, and, I, and the people who have left my patron support, you know, I, I don't, um, you know, because one thing that I said from the beginning is I never want to be a charity case. Sure. When I do apologetics, I want people to support me for the work that I do. Mm. And the Lord has said, no, you're going to be a charity case. So yeah. I hope that that's not the case for, uh, for the future. But my patron friends know that this is not the only struggle I have in my life. That I looked after my mother for uh, many years, and uh, after she passed away, well, she decided to leave um, the estate to me. The estate, you know, that's just the name of it. it doesn't mean that it's a, a huge amount. But um, four of my six siblings decided to sue me for my estate, for for my mother's estate, I should say. Okay. And um, that case is ongoing. It was actually supposed to be heard last month, and because of COVID, pushed to October. Wow. So. You know, it's it's been a roller coaster and it's been tough. But one thing I want you to tell uh, I want to tell you is that God is good throughout all of this. My faith never wavered. And one thing that I, I want to share with people, too, is that the, the, the biggest struggle that I've had in my Christian walk throughout my life, other than complacency, is the idea that God loves me. And this struggle, this this more than anything else, has shown me that God does, in fact, love me. Because he could have left me alone. He could have left me doing my apologetics talks, you know, around uh, North America. He could have left me with the support that I was uh, getting. But he said, no, Sai, you're coming home. Mm. And, I, and I'm going to put you through this trial. And I don't want to make it sound as though God is putting me through this trial. I'm 100% responsible for my sin that ended me in this trial. 
Sure. And when, when I read scripture too, I think of the trials of uh, Job and people like that. And I can't relate to that because they were righteous people and I know what I am. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just, I, I just, it did not affect my faith. Even the day that I got the phone call from these people that I don't know, um, the day that I got that phone call, it was filled with, I believe were, you know, many false accusations. And of course, some true ones. I got on my knees that night and I thanked God, not only in the trial, but for it. And I don't know what he's doing. And I don't, I may never know what he's doing. And it may be that I'm ostracized by the Christian community from now on. It doesn't matter to me. Mm. I love the Lord. And for people who think that this has uh, um, shaken my faith, it hasn't. It's only strengthened it. And so, um, you know, experientially, um, as far as that goes, I'm very thankful to God for, you know, allowing me to go through. And like this was years ago. And I think I already shared with you, but I was not. I gave up my apologetics work and I didn't resume the apologetics work until after this sin was dealt with. And one thing I want to share for with anybody who happens to be in some kind of sin, I never shared it with my pastor. I mean, I was out of the country too, but I never shared it with the pastor in the session because it's really embarrassing. Mm -hmm. When you say it's embarrassing, and I grew up in a community where that wasn't done. And I have a, a dear friend actually where they often speak of their sins publicly to the church and people are revolted by it. And I'm thinking, man, how, how much that would have helped me even not to fall into sin for one. But um, to not have the problem four years later when this this sin was brought up, if I had already shared it with my pastor in my session. So if anybody's involved with it, I know it's a very difficult thing, but share it with your pastor mm. and your session. The session in the Presbyterian Church is the elders and the pastor. So I'd encourage them to do that. And I know I've been rambling for quite a while, and I probably said more than I've wanted uh, to say. But um, I just want to reiterate Again, I, is that redundant? I think it's probably redundant. I want to reiterate <laughs> that my friends online have meant so much to me. Mm. And the notes of encouragement have meant so much to me um, over this time. And I love them. And if I am ever able to get into the U.S. again, and that can, again, it has nothing to do with my ordeal, my situation. It has to do with the fact that you have to show proof of vaccination to cross the border. Mm. And I'm not one person who's going to say that I'm unvaxxed or whether I'm vaxxed. But sure. I believe that there's a right to privacy, you know, with regards to that. People can figure it out anyways, you know, what I am. But currently, if you cannot prove vaccination, you cannot get into the U.S. I, you know, things are happening in Canada now with this uh, trucker convoy. And, um, you know, for people who are watching this, it's it's been amazing. But I encourage people not to put their trust in the convoy or in the government and put their trust in God. And I think God can and is using this, but I have no idea where, where it will turn. But if it is the case that I can travel to the U.S. again in my current state without having to disclose vaccination status, then um, I hope to go back to the U.S., especially where it's a little bit warmer mm. and <laughs> and not necessarily to do ministry, not necessarily to do public speaking, because I don't even know if um, the Lord has that in the future for me. I don't know if that's something I'll do. But what I want to do is meet people who have been with me from the beginning. Mm. I want to be able to hug them and thank them for their continued support, because Part of it, like I, I don't say that I have depression, but I think that that because of this and the response to this, that the way I felt is very akin to the, the symptoms of depression because I have mm. Patreon uh, followers and friends who have been supporting me, and I haven't been updating them because I haven't felt like it. Sure. You know, because it's very disheartening. So the fact that you have me on here today is, um, you know, one of the nicest things that uh, has happened for quite a while. Other people have asked. And um, I've kind of put them off for a while because, Eli, I wanted to be on your show first because uh, 
because of your regular phone calls and your regular support and your uh, trust and your understanding. And um, I, I, I should add that for all of those who put their trust in me, first of all, you know, that's a mistake. Don't put your trust in man. But I want to apologize to you. I want to apologize to you for my failing. And, um, you know, I, I hope and I pray that the Lord will uh, keep me steadfast going forward. And, um, yeah, and I, I guess that yeah. would my statement and hopefully that uh, gives people enough details and if people want to um email me directly and uh yeah. and ask for more details or you know something like that that would be fine but i'm hoping that after this that i can just refer to this video and people can watch it you know as far mm -hmm. as my response goes because i want to put it behind me sure. and if those people who are against me want to make a big deal of it i hope and pray that i won't have to um make a public defense of everything that's happened because i will Mm. Uh, I, I should I shouldn't say that I will. I would talk to my session and, and they would probably dissuade me from doing it. But uh, <laughs> I would just prefer that uh, that if these people just leave it alone, let's go forward. And um, but I'm not afraid. I, I trust mm. the Lord, you know, in my future, however, that's going to look, whoever's going to have me um, speak or do anything. I trust the Lord in that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I respect those who think that I shouldn't, and um, I just respectfully disagree with them. But I'm open to the to the argument. I'm open to the discussion. But I am under the authority of my session right now, and um, I'm in good standing with my church. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, whether you know, before this all this stuff happened, you had people talking bad about you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, before this happened, I remember I had you on. You were like, "Well, come on, but if you want to lose some subscribers." <laughs> Well, no, that's something that I, my, you know, you're gonna hate you. Might as well just roll with it, man. <laughs> well, that's something that come up with my session as well. They actually cited an atheist website who had uh, said something about. I said they said this stuff about me before. You know, it, it doesn't bother me at all. And um, you know, the thing is, um, I've shared this with people before, but I would go to a conference and I see the good-looking speaker get up there and up. You know, they, they show a slide of their beautiful wife and their beautiful kids and they gush about it. And I have no problem with that. But I'm also sitting there thinking, why should I listen to you? Why should I listen to you? Your life is perfect. You know, and and so, you know, if people engage me, they could say, well, his life isn't perfect. It's been tough. And, you know, I, of course, I don't share the same kind of trials that other people have. I have hope. Sure. There are people who have lost, lost loved ones, even, you know, because of the virus and because of the vaccine. I get that. And there's hope in Christ, but there's people who have lost things forever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I trust the Lord going forward. But, you know, people can look at me and say, well, he went through all that and he still loves the Lord. You know, and I'm not saying that that's something that's going to persuade them because it's always the work right. of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I, I used to think, too, if you get somebody who's speaking on drug addiction, you got somebody who's never been on drugs. You think, well, why should I listen to you, man? Mm. But the people have been through the trial. And I hope and when I talk to unbelievers as well unbelievers who are in unrepentant sin can know that there is a savior and that they can be free of their sin. Hmm. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I just looking at the comments there, everyone seems to be in support of seeing you again and they understand. Uh, and it's easy to understand because all of us have sinned. All of us stick around, brother, stick around, Yeah. <laughs> see if they're all in, in support. But um, yeah, no, I, I, do, I, like I say, these people have been, they've been wonderful. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. People on this channel, the comments have been pretty cool. And uh, you have every now and then you have uh, 
you know, a person take a jab here and there. But for the most part, I, I want to say thank you for people who watch, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Thank you for your engagement and being respectful for the most part. And um, and even just having Scion, I see a lot of people just giving uh, so much support. So we're glad you're back. We don't know what that means, as you said. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully God's will is that he will continue to use you. I know that the reason why a lot of people support you is because you have impacted them by God's grace. Of course, you've impacted them in powerful ways through your ministry. So um, I'm sure people are very appreciative of that and are ready to be uh, open and understanding, hopefully. Um, but, um, we're glad to have you on and thank you for sharing that. And, uh, so without, without further ado then, so you guys got, you got all of the, the info there and you can rewatch the, the first, uh, 25 minutes of this video to get kind of the full length, uh, explanation there as to where he's been and what he's been going through. Um, and if you want to, uh, you know, share your support, you can share them in the comments, you can message him. Um, I'm sure he'd be encouraged by that, but without further ado, Let's jump into uh, some apologetics, okay? Now, mm. I got to be careful, all right, because Sai is a very practical guy. So I'll ask him a complicated question, and I'm, I'm thinking that my question is going gonna, is gonna to provide the foundation for this expanded conversation, you know? Um, uh, and sometimes he's just, that's the answer. And I'm like, oh, all right, okay. <laughs> kind of like, how can I know? That, that God exists, right? You would say what? How would you say, Sai, if someone said that? How can I know if God exists? I would say you do know that God exists. That's right. We're done. That's right. You know, it, it, I was thinking, I was actually shared with the family that I'm, I'm with here um, the other day, a story that I used to uh, buy the book Mere Christianity in bulk. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there were some very good things in there, some things that I would now disagree with, but I used to hand it out in bulk. And I remember I was at work one day and one of the guys, he's quite a clown. And, you know, we had a lot of laughs together and I kept trying to give him mere Christianity and he would never take it. And one day I said to him, well, if you have a wobbly table, just stick it under one of the legs. And maybe one day you want to pull it out and read it. And this guy, like I say, he always clowned around, but he got real serious. And he looked me in the eye. He said, I will never take that book. And I said to him, why not? And he said, because I'm afraid it's true. Hmm. And I wasn't a presuppositionist at the time, but if I was, I would have said, no, you know, it's true. Mm, yeah. See, you got those, you dropped those bombs, bro. And it's like, what do you, what do you say? It's like, all right, <laughs> but, but here, but there is a main question that I wanted to address. Now, first, I want to ask you the, the, a question related to the main topic that we want to discuss. And then perhaps we can talk about how, um, cause, cause I've actually had private conversations with classical apologists and some good friends who um, are respectful of the presuppositional approach. They kind of see the value in it, but then they're kind of a, uh, someone brought up to me, well, look, how do you deal with people who are doubting? It seems like you have such a certainty that there's no room for sympathetic, you know, people to be sympathetic towards people who are struggling with, with doubt. And so, uh, yeah, it looks good when you're arguing and you have all this confidence and certainty, um, but how do you engage the Christian who is, who is struggling? And we do know that People struggle for various reasons and things like that. So I would like to address the main topic of the thumbnail and then maybe perhaps go into a more practical application as to how someone with a presuppositional mindset applies the biblical teaching to someone who is a believer, but comes to you with these questions of doubt and things like that. So maybe we can kind of take it from there. So um, the name of this video was Why Doubting Requires God, and that sounds weird, uh, but um, why is it the case? If someone says, you know, I doubt that God exists, how would you show that the fact that they're doubting actually requires 
the God that they're doubting. Yeah, I would say as far as a Christian expressing a doubt like that, that's very problematic. Mm -hmm. Because if they doubt the existence of God, then um, it turns out that they're the judge of whether he exists or not. Mm-hmm. And so people who are true believers, I think, you know, that they can be uh, plagued by something like this in which, you know, they still profess belief in God, but that there's uh, so much pressure from the outside that, you know, they might uh, express a doubt that they don't really have. And I think that when I share the fundamentals of doubt with them, for some of them, it's very comforting. And for others, I've shared this uh, uh, foundation of doubt with them, and it's not been comforting at all. I'm not saying that they are not believers, but um, I find it very problematic when um you know, I share this with them and it does not provide some comfort because I would submit that the doubt in that scripture talks about is not about the existence of God. Mm-hmm. It's about the prov- providence of God. Mm-hmm. So when people doubt the existence of God, you know, I would submit that that is problematic because they are elevating themselves over God, that they are they are the authority on whether or not he exists. But one thing I like to share with them, I like to break down the constituents of doubt. And I know it's a philosophical argument, but I would say, well, first of all, Scripture says that everyone knows for certain that God exists. Mm. But I say, what is necessary for doubt? If you doubt something, you're doubting the truth of something, or I guess the falsity of something. You're doubting a fact. You're doubting the truth of something. When you doubt something, you're using logic. You are employing logic to whether to find out whether or not this fact is true or not. And you're also depending on the uniformity of nature. If anything can happen, then there's no reason to doubt anything because anything can happen. So you're so those are only three elements: um, truth, logic, and the uniformity of nature. And those who follow, um, you know, the work that I've done, know that each of those elements require God. You cannot make sense of the concept of truth if you're if we're just evolved pond scum. Mm-hmm. You cannot make sense of universal, abstract, invariant laws of logic without God, and you cannot make sense of the uniformity of nature without God. The fact that the future will be like the past. None of those things can be made sense of without God. So the the constituents of doubt require God. So when I tell people that if you are a doubting God, do you know what you're doing? You're actually borrowing from God to doubt him. You cannot doubt God without the foundation of God. Now, some people might suppress the truth about that foundation, but it is there. And when people realize that, for some people, it's been very comforting. And for some people... it does nothing for them. So, so okay. So uh, now this is a big criticism that I often hear, and I, I have heard about you when you make those comments. Um, uh, is that it's no criticism? No criticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no. Well, I mean, I get criticized for for. I mean, I, <laughs> no, I, I'm kidding. I, just in my state. So a presuppositionalist will be accused of making assertions. So. It's very easy, and I and I keep telling presuppositionalists we need to learn to go beyond this. Uh, you, I mean, obviously, we don't have time to go into the details and unpack every aspect of this, but we need to go beyond the mere presuppositional platitudes. Like, you know, the truth of the of the Christian worldview is that without it, you you can't prove anything. I believe that, but saying it doesn't prove it. So, how would you begin to unpack someone who says, "Hey, Sai, I'm doubting," and then you say, "Well, the." The doubt, what's required, the preconditions for the intelligibility of your doubting requires these other things. How would you kind of unpack and connect the dots for someone who uh, who's struggling with doubt and show that they are, in fact, borrowing from God to even uh, engage in their doubting? How would you unpack what that looks like and, and why that's the case for the person? Well, as far as a, a Christian saying something like that, and I, I get emails along that line or I've gotten emails along that line. And what I often ask them, I say, well, what does your pastor say about it? 
Mm. Because I'm not a pastor. I want to reiterate, I'm not a pastor. And I am unqualified to give pastoral advice. Sure. And a lot of these questions for Christians are pastoral questions. Okay. And a lot of people will say to me, well, well, I, I don't have a pastor. You know, I just So you contacted a stranger online to talk about your doubt? I think your problem is not that. Your problem is that you need to find a, a sound church and you, you need mm. to talk to your pastor about this. But then I will share with them the constituents of doubt. You know, I'll say, first of all, the scriptures say that, you know, the Bible says that everyone is certain that God exists. Hmm. And then I will, you know, show them, well, but let's look at what doubt is. You're doubting the truth of something. You're using logic. You're depending on the uniformity of nature. And I might explain those things to people. I say that all of those things require God. And um, what, know, why? That, that's my question. So if someone well, says, why example, does it require God? Okay. For, for example, truth, the very concept of truth. Um, I ask, you know, I'll, I'll ask people on the street, where do you get truth from without God? And they'll say, well, I get uh, truth from evolution. And again, this is philosophical because I think, and I find that women are very good at this. Well, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that you need this. And the more that I do this, especially, you know, with the trials I've been through, the more I get away from the philosophy. And I appreciate there are people that explain these things. And, you know, I, but the more that I do this, the, the less I'm likely to do because they're not going to be on their, with their head on their pillow thinking about the philosophy at night. But, you know, as far as the explanation goes, I don't mind giving the explanation. Mm -hmm. If people have um, an evolutionary worldview, then what are our brains? Our brains are basically evolved meat computers, meat machines. And what are our thoughts? Our thoughts are the uh, the product of the firing of the synapses in your brain. You know, it's an electrical chemical reaction. Doug Wilson actually has a really good experiment or a, a thought experiment. He says, imagine getting a bottle of Mountain Dew and a bottle of Dr. Right. Pepper and shaking them up and opening them and watching them fizz. And you'll say, which of those fizzes is true? And I actually said this to people on the street, and they say, well, it's just fizz. Neither of them are true. I said, well, according to a an evolutionary worldview, you're fizzing atheistically, and I'm fizzing theistically. And you want to say that my fizz is false and your fizz is true. So you're actually borrowing from the God that you know exists in order to criticize my world. You're borrowing truth from God because you cannot be you cannot make sense of the concept of truth without God. So I would just show that you know their worldview just cannot justify that. And you know, our we are just is justified in scripture. Sure. So now okay, so what would you say? because uh, because I would imagine someone would say, you know, if you say everyone is certain that God exists, and someone's like, No, but I I'm trying to believe, Sai. I I, there's a doubt in me. I don't know if God exists. How would, how would you address that? You know, obviously people would, would, would say things along those lines, right? You know, uh, one um, person who tried to, who re tried to refute you, uh, a years ago, I made a video and, and they say it was a terrible argument, but they, they said something to the effect that the number one way to disprove, uh, a presuppositionalist who says that everyone's certain that God exists is just to tell them I'm not certain. Like you can't, you, you're not privy to my internal thought life. So I don't know God exists. Refuted, yeah. you know, how would you engage that? It's like the number one way to prove that you're in speeding down the highway is tell the cop you weren't speeding. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, it doesn't, doesn't make much sense, but if, you know, okay. and I actually, I watched our previous uh, encounter um, just prior to coming on here. So I didn't repeat a lot of things, mm -hmm. but um, you know, some of the, like I, I'm not a man of many words, but if somebody says that they don't know that God exists, I say, well, the Bible says you do. Mm. You know, and I, there, there's a fellow, actually a dear fellow, a, a Christiano, a friend of mine that I met through really miraculous uh, circumstances. But he went to school for four years to become a biologist so he could be a better apologist. He loved the Lord so much. And he, he saw his grandfather who grew up 
learning to read by reading the Bible. He never spent a day of school in his life. And people would say to him, uh, to his grandfather, I don't believe your Bible. And his grandfather would say, you must believe the Bible. It's foolish not to believe the Bible. And he said he was sitting in university watching his grandfather and saying how naive his grandfather was. And he says, now, after he became a presuppositionist, he says he realizes his grandfather was doing it right the whole time. Mm. You know, because one thing I tell you when I taught apologetics is I don't teach people how to defend their, their faith. I teach them how not to. And if I have to give an argument to uh, to justify the preconditions of intelligibility, then I think, you know, which I did quite often. And like when I hear people who have learned from me doing that on the street, it makes me want to throw up. Because I say, I don't think that the Apostle Peter would be talking about the preconditions of intelligibility if he was talking to an unbeliever. So, you know, I will state biblical truth to them. The Bible says, you know. Right. And, um, you know, I might... <laughs> I remember, I think I was, I, I might have mentioned on the last show, but um, I was in a, a park here a number of years ago, and this fellow was talking with an unbeliever for uh, quite some time, and I was within earshot, and he was using this, you know, Cy Timberincate presuppositional methodology, and they were going on for about half an hour, and I was listening, and, and my stomach was turning because he sounded just like me, and I want to throw up, <laughs> and he was, he was having difficulty in the conversation, so he called me over, and I looked the unbeliever in the eye, I said, so why do you hate God? Mm-hmm. He said, I don't hate God. And then we talked about that, but the conversation changed immediately because most of this I learned from philosophers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I don't doubt that they engage people on the street, but I never heard them engaging people on the street. So what I learned in the philosophy lectures, I would take on the street and philosophize with people, talk about epistemology. They have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I want to be able to share the faith with people that if the apostle Peter was standing beside me, he wouldn't be tapping me on the shoulder and say, Say, what are you talking about? Uh, but and, and we spoke about this before, and I, I agree with what you're saying, um, because what I see you doing is taking what you've learned and contextualizing it to the person you most likely would be engaging, you'd mm-hmm. be engaging with. So I get it. I'm not I don't see you saying, oh, philosophy, that's too complicated. Let's leave it over there. I think you do value w- what that brings to the broader system right but in terms of the everyday person you're going to be engaging in you're not going to be talking about those things and so i think that's probably why you take the approach that more direct approach however if you know van till um when people read van till and i got some some van till over there i was flipping through um uh, the introduction to systematic theology here's a spoiler alert it's not an introduction. <laughs> it's, it's pretty complicated. Although it's probably one of his one of his best books, that and Defense of the Faith. But be that as it may, um, one might read Van Til and say, "I don't understand what he's talking about." He uses weird words. He's bringing in these different, you know, conversation partners in philosophy. Um, but Van Til, and, and I know that you know this spoke the way that he did because he needed to speak the language of the philosophers because that is who he was engaging. Right. So the average person on the street is not going to be a philosopher. And so you're going to talk to them in a different way. The truths you're saying are still the same, but you're going to, you're not going to be using the language. However, going deeper with the philosopher, I think sometimes it is necessary. And so it is important to kind of have your feet in both worlds, being able to simplify it and really just strike to the, the heart of the conversation. And then also be able to grapple with some of those bigger concepts and show, yeah, no, you're borrowing from the Christian world. You, even when you're super smart, you think you're not. Um, so I think there's a, a place for, for both of those things. Um, because I think it's important when you say 
that's not what the Bible says. That's true. But that's not just a bare assertion. You can demonstrate right. if the context was provided, you can demonstrate why that's not what the Bible says is relevant to the discussion. It's not just a, an assertion right. without grounding. What, would you agree with that? Uh, or, or, or am um, I going to go off in, in your perspective? I, no, I, I, I suppose I would agree with it. But with my experience of engaging people, even people you know of the higher academic learning, that a lot of time it's, you know, they're looking for me, who's not a philosopher, to mm -hmm. slip up so that they can um, bolster their unbelief. Sure. So, um, you know, and I think that I have engaged people in the past, but I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a logician. And as you know, I'm a factory worker. I'm a boiler operator by trade, you know, which is. Uh, no, you're, you're a dude. You're a dude with a website. <laughs> yeah. Many years ago. But I think, you know, um, I think there are things that we can have in our back pockets. Sure. The problem is that there are people who have this in their back pocket, but they use it all the time and, and they don't get. And I, I know I shared on the last show that if people say, um, well, Sai, how do you get to the gospel from here? Mm -hmm. And I would hear that so often. Then I, and I thought, I'm doing it wrong. If they have to ask me how to get to the gospel from here, because I think that uh, that proper apologetics should be a gospel proclamation. And I know since I just listened to your show, the previous one, but I remember an instance in England um, when I was doing some witnessing on the streets there. And um, my friend Robert Gray, who was engaging a couple of um, philosophy students, it was like, uh, uh, there were actually a couple, a, a man and a woman. And um, I had approached the group and he was saying that I would pray. I was praying that you'd come here. It was, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life, actually, that it was, it was really cool. But I talked about it on the last show. But they had many philosophical objections to the truth of Christianity. And I dealt with all of them, presuppositionally, philosophically. And they seemed quite satisfied with my answers. And then I gave them back to Robert. And Robert shared the gospel with them. Mm. And then, um, as I said in the last show, I said, and then Robert said, Sai, uh, I really wish that I could do what you do. And I said, Robert, when they put their head on their pillow tonight, what are they going to be thinking about? Are they going to be thinking about what I shared with them, the philosophy? Or are they going to be thinking about what you shared with them? And Robert, you know, he's one of my dearest friends. He, he nodded knowingly that they were going to think about what Robert shared with them. Mm -hmm. I said, you don't have to be able to do what I do. And I think a lot of times it's a detriment. Now, I'm glad that people, you know, study these things because I want to know them for myself. You know, and I want to have these things in my back pocket. But um, the, the more that I do this, the more that I find that I've been spinning my wheels. And what I've been trying to do actually is trying to take out the middleman, the years of being out there engaging people and spinning my wheels and to get to a, you know, a, a sounder gospel proclamation. And what I've found is that it's almost impossible to cut out the middleman, that people almost have to experience it themselves in, you know, in order to realize the futility of it. Now, is there a place for it? Sure. But... Um, I'm, you know, the fact that people are engaged in that, I'm just not interested in it anymore. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a waste of time. And I appreciate that for people. It's not a waste of time. And of course, you know, there's things that I'm interested in learning. But when I see these uh, philosophical people arguing with what scripture calls a fool, you cannot make sense of anything. We're doing exactly what the evidentialist does. You know, rather than, you know, the evidence is being duped by giving evidential arguments to try to prove to the person that God exists. And the presuppositionalist is duped by philosophy to trying to convince them that God exists rather than being consistent with the scriptures that they know mm -hmm. and share the truth of Christ with them because they could get hit by a bus. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I, I'm not saying that that field is not important. It's just I'm not interested in it. So, OK, so when uh, people might be listening to you and you're saying stuff like scripture and then you're saying philosophy as though those are 
diametrically separate. Um, how do you understand the relationship uh, between Bible theology and philosophy? Because I know some people see it differently. Some people would say, hey, you need philosophy, but philosophy, of course, is within the boundaries of scripture. So you can do right. philosophy biblically. And so in that case, there's nothing wrong with using philo philosophical terms. I mean, philosophical vocabulary can just be a more sophisticated way of capturing a, a biblical truth with respect to, say, a metaphysical question or an epistemological question. How, how do you understand the relationship between? No, I, I think that I think that's fair. Um, mm -hmm. But the problem that I that I see for myself is that a pop. A lot of people say this is a biblical argument. It doesn't sound like a biblical argument. It doesn't sound like a biblical argument. It sounds like a philosophical argument. Now, if people want to say that this philosophical argument is derived from Scripture, I'm all ears. I say go nuts. You know, it's probably way over my head. But if you use biblical truths, you're using the laws of logic in order to expound those biblical truths to people. So, you know, philosophical views, that might be the case as well. But the problem that I've seen is that a lot of these arguments that are supposedly biblically derived don't sound anything like it. And, you know, and that's what I tell even evidentialists. I say, I don't care what you call the apologetic methodology. If you can show me how you sh share evidence with an unbeliever in a way that honors God, I say, go nuts. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Like, I, I, if an evidentialist came to me and say, say, I don't give them evidence to convince them that God exists. I give evidence to expose their suppression of the truth. I'd say, praise God. It's just that I, I'd not run into anybody that does that. See, when, see I've, I've had conversations with people that say, well, I don't, you know, I don't think man is neutral. I think man knows God. And when I present evidence, you know, I don't assume those things. And I'm like, all right, cool. You're a presuppositionalist who uses evidence oh, presuppositionally. presuppositionally. Oh, that, that's fair. People say, I do believe that. The problem is that when their apologetic is inconsistent with that. Mm. And that was my case as well. I can't tell you, like before I became a presuppositionalist, how often I read Romans 1 and then went out and tried to prove that God exists to people. So I, mm. you know, I believed it in my head, but I, I was not consistent with that belief. That I believe that to be the case, but I never took it to heart. You know, and so by the grace of God, you know, I I believe what his word says. And if people can give evidences or philosophical arguments, being consistent with scripture and not denying the facts of scripture, I say, go crazy. I Who am I? And that's, you know, with all of this that's going on, who am I? Mm. You know, I'm just trying to do the best that I can in the service of my Lord, engaging unbelievers and talking to believers. Who am I? You know, I, I go, and that's one thing I say, I got that from my friend, Tony Miano, you know, when he does a, a lecture, he says, I don't want you to approach this with an open mind, approach it with an open book. Mm. And that's what I want people to do with me as well. You know, if they disagree with anything, I say anything at all, come to me with scripture because that's my authority. Uh, okay. So I, I hear you. So I'm trying to understand how you understand the relationship though, how philosophy fits in. So like if the Bible uses logic, I mean, because language presupposes logic, um, wouldn't it be fair game to use logic and fit whatever content in logic, right, in argumentation? And that can be considered consistent with biblical categories. You can do it without being neutral, you know, um, anything along right. those lines, like using deductive arguments and all like deduction and induction. Those are... The words don't appear in the Bible, but we can see examples of that. So um, so when we do use those sorts of arguments, I'm just trying to understand why it seems like you call that like philosophy, but I want to stick over here. It seems like they're, they're all together. Does that make sense? 
yeah. So here's my question. To what mm -hmm. end? To what end? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that arguments can help expose more clearly and succinctly the knowledge of God that the person's suppressing. So kind of, go nuts. yeah. So, yeah. So kind of like you don't need my authority to go nuts. You know, you don't need yeah. my authority for that. But I, I just know the type of arguments that turn my stomach that people seem to be, you know, not being in tandem with scripture, sure. but making an argument wholly apart from scripture. And, you know, and the thing is when people are converted, they have to be converted to something. Mm -hmm. You know, they're converted when they're converted to something, they're converted to the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And I don't see that in many philosophical arguments. It can be there and people can do that and go, who am I to criticize? Like mm -hmm. I say, this is what I do. This is what I do when I engage people and I don't do it well and I fail. But um, I think for a lot of people who don't share their faith at all and don't know how to that, um, I think that this method is, is comforting to them. And like I say, you know, because if I need to be encouraged to share my faith or to uh, tell people how to share their faith, all I have to do is watch 90% of the videos out there, if not more, of people engaging unbelievers talking about a God I don't believe in. Mm. And so, I mean... It's just that a lot of these philosophical arguments seem to um, indicate that God is not necessary for them. And sure, you know, I, like I said, I'm the pre-sub Nazi, you know, and um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And, I, you know, I talked about complacency as well. That That's an issue, too, when, when you can't state a time when you don't know that um, Jesus is your Lord. But one thing that that also afforded me is a respect for the Lord. Of course, whenever I sin, you know, that that. Um, you know, that is also a slap in the face of that respect. But I respect the Lord enough that when I hear an argument that seems to dishonor him, it makes my skin crawl. Now, people can do that. People can do that effectively. And the Lord has used that to save people. I just don't like it. I got you. Now, I want to get a little more into doubt, but let's take a couple of questions. Uh, there's some fun ones here. Uh <laughs> So Alyssa Scott asks, question, asks I to give an example of a philosophical argument that turns his stomach. <laughs> so, so let's make your, your, your stomach turn. When you say some arguments make your stomach turn, what, what do you mean by that? So folks can kind of see, um, okay, yeah, I can understand, you know, why he says that. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know. I really can't think of any examples, but um, okay. for instance, um, the... Um, the very foundation of the presuppositional argument. I think a lot of people, uh, they say that incorrectly. You know, they say um, God is a necessary precondition for logic. You know, there is, or for intelligibility, there mm -hmm. is intelligibility, therefore God exists. Now that is a, a well and good argument, but I think that it also misses something. You know, so I might have that first premise, God is a necessary precondition for intelligibility as he has revealed in his word. You know, and people don't like that, but I'm not there to make them like that, you know, because sure. the Bible is my foundation. So I think that these arguments that are devoid of the scriptural uh, backing, you know, I, they're valid. They're true. You know, a lot of the evidential arguments are good. Some of them are terrible. But, um, you know, when I find them devoid of the authority of scripture, then um, I don't like them. Okay. Um, Victory Street Ministry said uh, says Paul wasn't strictly precept. In Acts 17, he was an evidentialist. <laughs> well, we beg to differ. <laughs> how, how could you? How could you? By the way, if folks are interested, um, let me see here. I have a copy here. This is kind of the updated version of Always Ready. Oh, great. Now, if you throw out this entire book and just keep the appendix, it's still worth the money. 
the appendix of this book of who, uh, you know, Victory Street Ministry, whatever your real name is. If you're interested, if you get this book, there is an appendix. Um, it's pretty extensive. It's kind of it's pretty long. I think it's the longest section, independent section in the book. Um, and the appendix is entitled The Encounter of Jerusalem with Athens, where Dr. Bonson goes into great detail as to why um, that's not the case. Thing <laughs> which I have, he does. There's a whole section on Acts 17, but you know, I always find that interesting because I tell people, you know, it's the same Paul that wrote uh, Romans one that wrote Acts. You know, <laughs> sure. You know, and, and this is the question that I ask them. I say, okay, let's say uh, Paul's about to go to Athens, and just before he gets there, a meteor hits Athens and and kills everybody there. Where would Paul say that they're going? Where would you say that they're going? You know, Paul wrote Romans one there without excuse, right? So it, it's not a different Paul who believed that they needed evidence to be convinced that God exists. It's the same Paul who wrote Romans chapter one for the, that they were without excuse for the suppression of the truth about the God that they know. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's another question. It's uh, it has to do with philosophy. You can share your thoughts and I can I could chime in because I have some thoughts on this as well. And I think these questions come from not so much to put God to the test. I think people who who learn presuppositionalism and they see the power in it they also want to be able to explain to others why those criticisms don't work. You know, to justify that, Hey, what we're doing is biblical. Here's what the Bible said. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me step in there for a minute because I think this is, and I'm not going to say it's an error, but when yeah. people say the power of the apologetic, and I might speak like that as well, but it, the apologetic has zero power. And I, I know that you agree with that. It's yes. the power of the Holy spirit. And he could use that argumentation. But what I think when you argue presuppositionally, it's not about the power of the apologetic. It's being faithful. Mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. word of God, so that even if it falls on deaf, deaf ears, at least you can walk away and say, I was faithful. But the reason that it's powerful is because I believe it's faithful to the word of God. Amen. Sorry for interrupting. No, no worries, no worries. Okay, so here's the question. So what would you guys say about the claim that presuppositionalism is influenced strongly by Kant's philosophy, Kant's thought? All right, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, and if so, share them. If not, I have thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's fine. I know that, um, that Bonson often... Uh, quoted Kant, but uh, I don't care. You know, I, I think, like I say, examine this with an open book, see if it's biblical. And, you know, the justification that I have for the apologetic is not from Kant, it's from scripture. Now, mm -hmm. if people who came up with the formulation of certain arguments, uh, you know, relied on Kant, I don't know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And, you know, and maybe in some way they did, but I'm saying, Look at scripture. And I think you also have his book, uh, Presuppositional Apologetics, Stated and Defended. I remember a friend of mine, um, he was interested in the apologetic, and he read a book on evidential apologetics and one on presuppositional apologetics by Bonson. And he said the evidential book, he was like almost through the book, more than halfway through the book, not one scripture verse. Mm. And Bonson's book, it was loaded from the first page with scripture references. And I think, you know, that that's really the difference. That yeah. I don't care, you know, where their influences and the formulation of some of their arguments, the basis must be in scripture. Otherwise, I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I would say that it's 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 influenced by Kant, but not in the way that the critics want to make it. So, for example, as we made mention before, uh, as I, I was mentioning that Sai um, is does a really good job at contextualizing the apologetic to bring to kind of like the person, the person you're most likely going to engage with. You have to understand, you watch YouTube. And you hear the interactions and the arguments and the debates. That's not what normally happens with the average Christian, right? You can't have a YouTube debate apologetics mindset and think that that's the way your conversations are going to go 
on the street. So it is important to contextualize what you're listening to on YouTube. You know that a lot of helpful content out there. Um, you want to contextualize it so that you can you can speak to the people that God has placed in your life. But Van Til was a philosopher. And so the language he uses, the people that he's interacting with, are the philosophies of Kant, the theologies of Barth. I mean, this is the reason why he tends to use, for example, the language of philosophical idealism. He's been accused of being an idealist. He wasn't, but that was the language he spoke because those were the types of people he was speaking to. If you are interested in kind of um, uh, more detail as to why he wasn't uh, a Kantian or a um, an idealist, you can read from Van Til's own work, Defense of the Faith, or you can go to Analogical Thoughts. Dr. James Anderson has some you know, some articles there where he unpacks um, why Van Til uses that language, but is not himself um, guilty of uh, adopting uh, you know idealistic philosophy. Okay, all right. Uh, let's see here. There was something here. Uh, Victory Street Ministry says, uh, Revealed Apologetics, please let Cy know. I love him as a brother in Christ. How can we donate to help him get on his feet? I'm not sure if you're taking donations or there's a, a place you can point people to, but uh, if there is, feel free to give a, a, a quick commercial as to how people could help you out if you're looking for, for that sort of help. Well, I'm again, I'm humbled by that. And like I say, I have not been doing any. This is the first thing I've done in almost a year. And, um, you know, my living, living uh, situation is such that um, I don't know if I'll be putting out a lot of content or any for the next little while. I, I hope to still do some interviews. The thing is, I will go out and evangelize when that I mean, it's cold up in Canada now. I have a new a new to me vehicle that needs a lot of work before I can put it on the road. But once that's the case, I hope to travel again if I can't go to the States and through Canada. And I do want to evangelize again. And I do appreciate, I mean, there's been a number of people who have supported me this whole time. And, you know, there was even thought that I should uh, cancel my Patreon because of this. And um, I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully I'm not in sin for that, but I didn't. But um, um, I believe that the Lord has used that to support me, to sustain me during this time. And I'm very thankful for it. And my patron is patreon.com slash 10 b And um, I have a PayPal as well, as well as contact at proofthatgodexists.org. And like I say, I'm humbled by it. I'm, I'm thankful for it. And um, yeah. Can you, can you say that Patreon one more time slowly? If someone's trying to like get a, a sticky pad and jot it down patreon.com slash Sy10B, S-Y-E-T-E-N-B.com. And if you call the number on the bottom of the screen, we will send you a special <laughs> vial of water from the Jordan River. You could anoint the four corners of your house and prosperity will come your way. And I'm just kidding. All right. Um, Scott Terry, thank you so much for $20 Super Chat, man. I love this quote. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Um, I love hearing uh, redemption stories and people coming. Now it's it's tempting to just want to hear the dirt on someone, right? Just for the sake of hearing, like, oh, well, what happened? But I have to say, when I do see someone expose kind of the details of their sin and how they've been restored, it is very encouraging. Um, obviously, we shouldn't seek to want to know everyone's business, but when someone is as transparent as you've been, uh, just lay it out there. People have seen you from a perspective like, man, it's Sai, and he got into some some issues here. I think it's encouraging when people can hear some of those details you express and see that like the gospel lived out, namely that we're all sinners and we all we all need the forgiveness of Christ. And so uh, you gave a, a wonderful example of, of what that looks like, especially someone who 
was doing apologetics. Many people looked up to, and you know, you're human, you're a sinner, uh, just like all of us, we struggle. And I think a lot of people resonate with, uh, with that struggle and appreciate your transparency. So, um, so yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate that, man. Uh, Jacob, uh, Spear says, love you, Cy. No matter what happened, you have the support of your true brothers and sisters. People fall, have issues and sin. You are honest, open, and confessing of what happened. Thank you for your preserving through the trial and praise God for getting you through it. Amen. Yeah. Appreciative of that. Now, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for that because, um, yeah, I, you know, I, um, I feel for other people who have um, gone through similar things and, um, you know, I just hope that they've had the same kind of support that I have. And like I say, I, you know, I hope this is the end of it. I hope I never have to speak about it again. You know, I hope that those who, I mean, I, there are people who clearly do not like me. There are those who love me as well, who feel that, you know, I shouldn't even be on here now. Yeah, I and think my, you're okay. I think you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do appreciate that. And I hope that you don't get any backlash from it. But um, yeah, and like I say, I'm not the one who's keeping things quiet. I, you know, I think it's important that the Lord is honored in all of this. And, and if it honors him better, that this never hit the light of day, like the, the uh, intimate details of it, then that will be the case. But if it needs to hit the light of day, because, yeah, no, I should probably I should probably leave it at that because I, I want the Lord to be best honored. And I don't think he's honored with false accusation. But again, the problem is when I defend myself against things that are false, so often I've heard over this last year that it makes me sound unrepentant of the things that are true. Hmm. That's not the case. I know what I am. I know what I did. I know what I deserve. And I have a wonderful Lord who who saved me and, you know, who's restored me and who loves me. And, um, and who has provided me with a lot of dear, loving friends who, who love me as well, friends who I've never met. And, and that's, you know, and, and that's one thing. When, when I left and I, you know, I still had my page up on Facebook for a day or so, it's not that the support was 95% or, you know, it was 100% supportive. Mm. You know, now, you know, reading the comments on your page, I, I would say it's about 98% supportive. But when I left, it was 100% supportive. And that meant so much to me. It, you know, it, I was so thankful for that. Mm. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Chad uh, Hominum says, Sai, thanks for coming back. I've been watching a lot of your content lately and have been thinking about you. My question is, is every debate with atheists worth having? Chad hominem, that's pretty good. Is that like ad hominem? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty witty. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good point. Um, you know, and I shared with it again the last time I was on with you as well. Is that one of the biggest uh, compliments that I get from an atheist? They're actually trying to insult me. They say he didn't come to debate; he just came to share the gospel, or he just came to preach. And I say, Amen. So I would say that a lot of the debates um, are futile; they're not worth it. But a lot of times you will be able to share a gospel method message with people who will never darken the door of a church. And I would say for that reason alone, it's worth it. But mm. I think a lot of the debates and maybe even people see the engagements that I've had in the past have been far too philosophical. And I would say if you can share the gospel with a, a number of people, like that debate with Matt Delahunty has over a million views on YouTube mm. alone. Mm. And, uh, you know, I give a gospel presentation in there, how that debate went. You know, that's for whoever watches it to decide. But there's over a million people who have had a gospel presentation. And that's on Facebook alone. It's also been on sure. other platforms. So I'm thankful for that. But I would, you know, I would say that many debates that I've seen have certainly not been worth it. Because first of all, they haven't been debating for the God that I believe in. And they didn't honor him. Hmm. So, um, and would I en en encourage everybody to go into debate? No. 
Absolutely not. But if you can go there and, you know, get the platform and debate someone and share the gospel, I say, you know, amen. Hmm. Thank you for that. Alyssa says a question. When you say they want you to slip up, people who want you to slip up so that they can bolster their unbelief, what does that look like? Um, let's say, um, okay, I, I give you an example. It's an evidential example, but that's the only one I could think of because it's one that I used to use. It's when you're, let's say, arguing for the age of the earth. And then they talk about something and you say, well, carbon-14 dating can only measure something within thousands of, of years. And the person happens to be an expert on radiometric dating. He says, I was talking about a different isotope. I wasn't talking about the carbon isotope. I was talking about this and it can, and then you're lost, you know, because you have, you have an argument that that's, um, you know, well beyond your scope. And um, yeah. And uh, I think, what was the question? Uh, when so, I mean, you start talking about a field that you're not that familiar with because you have heard it repeated many times that carbon dating only measures things in the thousands of years. And then they come up with something that, that you know, makes you look like an idiot because you're not versed in that. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, if you if you make a mistake and I'll give you another example that's that's closer to home. And I wouldn't even think it's a mistake. But in my debate with Matt Delahunty, I gave a premise and I, I think it was about um, um, is, is belief in God uh, rational. And I gave some premises that were really a tongue-in-cheek joke more than anything, that I said it's reasonable to believe things that were true, that are true. It's true that God exists. Therefore, it's reasonable to believe that God exists. And people eviscerated me for that syllogism when it was a tongue-in-cheek, you know, fun mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, um, And so they focused on that rather than on the existence of God. And, um, you know, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for any kind of... Um, now, yeah, I don't even know. I think I still think it's a, a decent argument, but I didn't mean it to be a decent, sound argument. I mm -hmm. meant it you know, it's true that God exists. And that's what I was saying, you know, in, in, a, in a weird kind of way. And, I, you know, a, a person that you've actually recently, when I look at Eli right there, when you recently engaged, he brought up that argument, a Christian, a professing Christian, I should say, brought up that argument and said how philosophically um, it was unsound. I said, yeah, I don't care. I, I didn't really mean it for a sound argument. It's like a tongue in cheek thing mm -hmm. that God exists. Okay. And actually, the person I was debating actually did focus on the very thing I wanted him to focus on, which was the second premise. It's true that God exists. Mm. All right. Uh, evolution false. Sai, is it true? <laughs> is it true that Darth Dawkins can bench press more copies of the defense of the faith? <laughs> Do you bench press? Do you go to the gym at all? <laughs> Uh, no, actually, um, I told I shared with my Patreon friends, though, um, but I was able to do uh, to help a dear friend of mine with a renovation project. I do a plumbing and electrical and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And for about two months, I was helping him renovate an apartment. And I think I lost about 20 pounds. So that was great. But no, I don't see the point of um, lifting a weight for no purpose other than building <laughs> muscles. I'm, I'm glad that people do that. I'm just not interested. Listen, I, 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 when I die, I want to die with uh, a donut in my hand and some Snicker bars in my pocket. You guys can sweat at the gym and, you know, you can drink all your healthy shakes. I'm going to be chilling with my wife. We're going to be having some cheese crackers, some cake. It's going to be awesome. Um, donut in my hand, I would die. I'm, I'm a diabetic. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, question How do you explain to someone that's hearing this argument for the first time? I guess the, the presuppositional argument for the first time how it has to be the Christian God over the other gods. Um, now, I know what you're going to say because that's the only God that exists. I know, I know, I know. But how, because people, even people who believe that, like, yes, I believe because God, the God of Scripture is the only God that exists. But how do you unfold that in a way that's like, 
yes, I believe it. But oh yeah, yeah, okay. So when you connect this dot, man, I really, I really see that. Like it's cool to have the conceptual explanation confirm what we believe and see how that fits to get what we know and how that fits together. So how would you answer that? That people are so indoctrinated into having an argument that concludes the Christian God that they misunderstand the foundation, the fundamental principle of presuppositionalism. We don't start with a generic God. We start with the Christian God. Mm -hmm. We might show how all other worldviews are irrational. irrational. But, um, you know, Psalm 96.5, all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Mm -hmm. So I start with that, and I might cite Scripture as my support for that, that fact. But we don't get to some generic God. There is no generic God. And what I tell people is that really the only theist is a Christian. All the rest, according to Psalm 96.5 and throughout Scripture, are idolaters. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not that, you know, uh, we conclude the Christian God. A presupposition, I start with the God of the Bible that, that the Bible says everyone knows exists. So I start with that God. I don't start with a generic God. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Blue, Purple, and Scarlet says, why do you think precepts don't talk more about the arts and music? The preconditions are used in every field of study. So I, that's a cool question. I mean, we talk about logic and transcendentals. Um, I know Bonson believed that aesthetics, you could, you could start anywhere um, when you're talking with the unbeliever. Why do you think people don't usually use um, uh, the arts and, and music as kind of their you know, God needs to be, God provides those preconditions for even the intelligibility of, of, of those things. You know, before I was a presuppositionalist, and I would say even before I understood Reformed theology, I read a book, Blue Like Jazz. I haven't read it since I became Reformed and since I'm a presuppositionalist. I might hate it now. It might make me want to throw up now. But the book started <laughs> with something very beautiful. And, and he said that uh, the author of the book said he never liked jazz music. And then he saw a, a fellow playing a saxophone, a busker on the street playing a saxophone for 15 minutes without opening his eyes. Mm. He said after that, he loved jazz music. He says sometimes you have to see some, somebody love something that much before you can love it yourself. Mm. And I, people don't do that because they don't love it to the degree that maybe this woman does. And I've shared with you, I know I shared with this with you on the last show, but often I get people say, man, I was talking to my sister-in-law and I really wish... Psy was there so that I can give this, you know, this presupposition argument. But you know what I would love? I would love to be in the room with this woman when she shares about the beauty of God's creation with an unbeliever. Mm. You know, I want to learn from her. I want to hear that from somebody who loves that. So people don't do that because I think a lot of times they're in debate forums arguing the preconditions of intelligibility and yeah. having to smack them on the back for having a good argument. And mm. I think you know, that's uh, that people love that. Mm. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, reformed uh, YT. I don't know how to print. Okay. So Alpha and Omega Reformed YT. I don't know what that means, but got to love YouTube. All right. Uh, how should we do an internal critique of the Hindu worldview? Most of them are, are monists. So um, those who know about the presuppositional methodology, we there's a lot of talk on the importance of internally critiquing the unbelievers worldview, which you do. Um, you say, hey, if, if atheism is true, where do you get truth? That That's that's your attempt at an internal critique to show that they can't account for that. How would you engage a, a Hindu? And generally speaking, because you even have variation within Hinduism. Right. Um, now, the thing is, with as far as the worldviews goes, I'm pretty rusty because I haven't done this for quite a while. But if you go to my website, proofthatgodexists.org, I have a tab that's called Other Worldviews. And there's one on Eastern Philosophies. 
and um, you know, I, I I'd have to actually go back and actually read that. I, I did that with uh, my friend Corey McKenna from London, and we we made those tracks a number of years ago. And I think there's a lot of good facts about the um, the uh, you know Eastern philosophies in there. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, and I know I, I I use I I beat this analogy to death. Let's say you had the Apostle Peter beside you, and you said, "I'm going to go talk to this monk." And would he say, well, I have to study Eastern philosophies before I can talk to him? And he probably wouldn't say that. Now, is it good to know Eastern philosophy? Would he want you to know? If you know about Eastern philosophy, would he want to know the details of it? Sure. But um, I think a lot of times that people get duped by these other worldviews, you know, because it's very interesting. Some people catch me on this and they've been very helpful with me because, you know, I, I often say, well, you're not an atheist, you're a professing atheist. And then, then they say, well, aren't these people actually professing Muslims and professing Hindus? And they're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Because the Bible says that everyone knows the God. So does the Hindu. So does the Muslim. So do all these different worldviews. So I think a lot of times, because they have a fallback religion, we deny the fact that they also know the God. And that's why I've had dear friends engaging Mormons and engaging Muslims. And I've never heard them say, but you're sinning against the God that you know exists. Mm-hmm. And anybody can do that. So, I mean, I have a page on Eastern philosophies, but like I said in the, in the last interview, I think it also misses the mark. It gives some facts about it. It gives some things that we can ask them. It can expose, you know, some of the folly of their worldview. But um, I think that we need to preach Christ to them because, again, it's one thing to deconstruct their worldview. It's another thing to preach Christ to them. And if you have one person do one thing and one person do the, do the other, what are they most likely to think about when they put their head on their pillow, especially if the Holy Spirit is at work mm-hmm. in their heart? They need to be converted to something, and they need to be converted to the gospel. Mm. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Arthur Bear says, uh, why do you think atheists, specifically Tom Jump, endorses Descartes' I think, therefore I am? Actually, it's I think, therefore I doubt. Um, just a context here, um, if that question doesn't make any sense, um, some people will respond to the claim that without the Christian worldview, you can't have you can't justify knowledge. Some people say, well, sure I can. I could, I know that I exist. That's indubitable to doubt it. I have to assume it. So, um, they kind of offer, uh, you know, an argument along the lines of, of Descartes position there. How would you say that? I don't believe in your God. I don't know your God exists. And I know that I exist. Therefore I have knowledge independent of your God. You know, I, like I said, I'm not a philosopher, but I would doubt, I, I would, I would, um, uh, counter what he says, what the argument actually is, that it's not, I think, therefore I doubt, or I doubt, therefore. I... The actual argument is dubito ergo sum. It's I doubt, therefore I am. Mm, so, I thought it was, cogito, I thought it was cogito ergo sum. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's what people think it is. But I think that the original argument is actually um, dubito ergo sum. Not mm. So it's actually I doubt, therefore I am, from okay. my understanding. But the original question, why Tom Jump uses it, I don't know. He'll use anything. And I'm, you know, I'm thankful that you engaged him. He's one of the people that I probably would not because I've always said to him, I want to engage you with what you actually believe. And he is very reluctant to state what he believes. And if he was interested in having a discussion where he would state exactly what he believes so we can, you know, um, talk about each of our worldviews, then I would consider it. But I just find that um, he doesn't do that. So I think he will use any argument, again, that he can use to try and trip up his interlocutor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for that. That's the last question I'm seeing here. Let's try to wrap things up. Um, getting back to the issue of of doubt. Um, so, I have spoken with young people before who I, they don't understand a lot of. If it's true that all men have a knowledge of God, but not everyone knows how to 
process that, I think, in terms of, because I've seen people like, hey, I want to believe in God, and I just don't know how to make sense out of all this. Um, how do you encourage and point someone in, in the direction of, of encouragement along that journey? I mean, do we just come out and say, hey, man, you're suppressing the truth, or how, how do you go about that and kind of, uh, I know you're not a pastor, but in a pastorly way, in a kind of like, I'm not your pastor, but I want to, I want to be there for you. I know people genuinely, I mean, the Bible says, you know, help my unbelief, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. Um, how do you, how do you encourage people who are in the position of say that guy in, in that scripture reference where he's saying, I believe, but please help my unbelief. Yeah. Well, I think that's a different person than you initially talked about, but for that person, you know, I would say there's comfort in, in reading the word. And I would encourage people who aren't in a regular um, reading of the word to get a Bible plan. And what I found too is that Bible plans that don't have the specific date on it, it's far easier to skip a day and you know to not get caught up again. But I would uh, encourage people to get a Bible plan with the actual date on it, so that um, you know you can read those days and you can keep up with it. And um, you know that's that's what I would encourage people to have, because you know it's a work of the Holy Spirit. And when people say that um, I'm really not sure that God exists, I, and I've said this in my talks, I say, I have one word for you, repent. Mm. And the thing is, repent is the gift of God, and repentance is a change of mind. So how does somebody change their mind about their certainty of God's existence? That's the gift of God. They need to get on their knees and cry out to him for mm. that. And, um, you know, how long? And I, I tell people, you need to get on your knees and cry out until God changes your mind about that or until he casts you into hell. Now, that's not for a Christian, of course, but, you know, for the unbeliever, because, you know, I have a friend, uh, you know, who's, who said that as well, that, you know, he he cried out to God until, until the Lord finally saved him. And uh, I said, keep doing that until he saves you, until he throws you into hell. As far as, you know, the person who, um, you know, doubts the existence of God, this is one thing that I encourage people with as well. And I don't know if I shared it the last time we talked as well, but I said, I want to talk to the kid who's sitting in church like this. You know, can't wait to get out of that nut house where they're talking about talking snakes and stuff like this. I, I want to talk to to people like that. Mm. And a friend of mine says, "Yeah, I got a nephew like that. He grew up in a Christian home, and then now he says there's no God, and he just you know sits on the couch, and his his parents are afraid to talk to him because they think they're going to push him further away from Jesus." And I said, "Well, this is what you do. Next time you go over there, you sit on the couch beside him, and you put your arm arm around him. You say, look, I love you, man. I, I've been praying for you, and uh, you might be fooling your mother. You might be fooling your father.'" But you're not fooling me and you're not fooling God. I know that you know that God exists. The Bible says that you know. And I love you. And I'm praying for you. And if you want to know how to be made right with him, you come and talk to me. Do you want to go shoot some you know? And now that person is afraid of you. And of course, you have to do it with gentleness and respect because people are in all sorts of different states of depression. You know, they're, they're in, and, and sometimes, you, you know, you can't give a smug answer. But what I say, what Christians need to do is love people. You know, and love them because I've had it where I have argued even presuppositionally till I was blue in the face. Mm-hmm. And then you show love to people, and then the, the response is remarkably different. I remember this one particular uh, woman, uh, she's an atheist from uh, England. I think she professes belief now. But I was arguing presuppositionally that was very early on in the ministry till I was, till my apologetics work, I was arguing till I was blue in the face, blue in the face. And I finally said to her, um, are you ever thankful? And she said, yeah. I said, who do you thank? And of course, there was silence. And she said that question meant more to her than any of my apologetics work. So I think, mm. you know, when people are so focused on methodology, you know, I think that's a problem. 
I think that we need to go out and, and love people. And, and even people that are very close to me, they think that I've gone soft. They think I've gone Armenian. I said, no, we have to uh, go out there and love people. Like even at the abortion clinics before, you know, those death scorts at the abortion clinic, they're used to having Christians in their face calling them murderers. And, and it is the fact that they are accomplices to murder. But I think that they prepare themselves before they go to those clinics. They prepare themselves for Christians to be like that to them. But they're not prepared for Christians to go up to them and with a sincere look, look in their eyes and say, I love you. Mm. I don't know what you're doing here in support of this murderer. I don't know what you're doing here as an accomplice to murder, but I want you to know that I love you. And your only hope is faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm here today. And I think mm. that's what people need to do is to, you know, it's nice to have metho methodologies, but to, to get away from that. Like I say, I don't teach people how to defend their faith. I teach them how not to. And what when I have a conversation with a Christian about defense of the faith, I want them to walk away and say, I could do this all the all along. Just talk about the Lord that I love. Mm. Okay, thank you for that. Um, well, there's just a couple more questions here, and I, I'm going to stop because uh, we, we're at an hour and 20 minutes, and I don't want you to, to fall asleep. <laughs> Um, how are you doing? Are you okay? Is it okay to take a couple more? Unless you're falling asleep. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, let's see here. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a philosophical ish. A lot of people are just interested in it. I, I get what you're saying, and and it's true that uh, we don't want to always be philosophizing and using terms that are really not going to communicate, uh, you know, the gospel when we're on the street and stuff. But some of the philosophical issues I think are important. People are curious about that. So. Um, so here's one for you, and then I'll, I'll chime in as well. Um, we'll just take like two or three more. Uh, I'm truly grateful for uh, the truth I have gleaned from the both of you. Uh, could you please expound upon the reason that there could only be one sufficient transcendental? Um, I don't know if that's too philosophical, but uh, in other words, if if the Christian God, we argue, is it provides the necessary preconditions for intelligibility, why, could, why must there only be one? foundation that provides that you know why can't you have multiple uh transcendental foundations that equally explain and justify knowledge you know the thing is i think that you i've heard you actually answer that question far better than i can so i'll defer to you but when people ask me that question i'll say well it's not that there can't be more than one the bible says there is only one mm -hmm. and if you want to have an argument outside of scripture, you know, then I want your justification for arguing outside of scripture. So if you want to give a philosophical answer to that, I mean, that is your ballpark. But I don't say why there can't be. I say there is only one. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've had the argument and you can explain that a lot better is that if if there can be one, uh, I think if there is one, there can only be one. And I think I've heard actually Bonson talk about in a lecture way over my head. I just defer to scripture, the fact that it says that there is only one, but I'll defer the philosophical, the, the philosophical answer to you. Yeah. No, well, I've heard before. Yeah, well, I agree. Uh, the Bible says there is only one. So that's the reason why we, we believe there's only one. But I think the reason why, uh, it, it, by way of kind of a, a critique of someone who might posit the possibility of there being more than one, you run into the problem of kind of a metaphysical pluralism that you have, for example, two different competing accounts of reality, both grounding knowledge. How is that possible? Since that grounding that's not the same as this other grounding, they're not the same. So how are they giving you a foundation to give you accurate access to the way the world is? You, you can't have two because then you're, 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 you'll run into the issue of skepticism. You have these two opposing visions of reality that both adequately account for knowledge. How can they do that if they're both completely different metaphysical schemes 
different epistemological schemes, things like that. So um, that's why Bonson argued that if Christianity is one, then it follows it's the only one because there can be only one. If you don't believe there can be only one, then you're stuck in skepticism. Then we can challenge the validity of any conclusion you draw by assuming that there can be more than one. So again, that's some philosophical jargon that might not be useful for some people. And so I was probably saying, I, I told you. <laughs> now, no, how I've many people understand what he just said? <laughs> I've heard Bonson explain it before. But the interesting thing, right. you know, the, the Lord can use anything to save right. someone. He can use bad arguments to save somebody, right. you know, but um, that does not mean that we should use bad. And I'm not saying yours was, but he can use anything to save people. So I just, you know, uh, try to be faithful to my Lord. And if people can make those kind of arguments and um, be faithful to the Lord, I say, go crazy. And not right. that they need my permission because they don't. Very good. And uh, you made mention of in passing before we got before we went live. But hey, it's Pine Creek. <laughs> he says, hey, Smiley's back. Good to see you. There you go. Thank you so much, Doug. Um, it's always nice to see you in the comments there. Well, that's that's it for the question. Did Doug ask a question? I don't think he asked a question. There were a couple of there were a couple of and I, I think people who are not very uh, they, they don't like Calvinism very much, and so there seemed to be some questions that seemed to be a little little clickbaity, so that we got off topic and talked about Calvinism. But we're not going to go there. Um, maybe when I have you know, a different show, we can talk about it. But um, so sorry if I skipped over some of those questions. But uh, yeah, if Doug has a question, uh, you can you can ask one if you if you if you're willing to take one from Doug. I just want to say hi to him and let him know that I've prayed for him over the time. And I would not be opposed to having a conversation, you know, with him in the future. I think the conversation we had on his channel, you know, I'm thankful for it. And um, I would say that even he's been a, a friend in, in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, well, if you ever if you ever wanted to have a conversation, I'd love to host it on on my show. Be good to very decent with me as as well. And um, I mean, yeah, just hi, Doug. Yeah. Well, hello, Doug. Um, all right. Well, that's it for the questions here. Sai, I want to thank you so much. An hour and twenty five minutes. I know that was a lot, but I'm sure folks were happy to see you uh, back. We had a pretty nice uh, size audience listening in. Uh, guys, if you have been again, if you've been blessed by this content and this conversation, you know, show Sai some love and um, you know in the comments and uh, and share the video. I, I love I love these conversations. One of the reasons I did this YouTube channel, Sai, is um, I have my own pocket theologians and apologists. So I teach apologetics and I've, I've taught apologetics and and when I have questions, I have a pool of people that I would reach out to. And I would have these conversations over the phone. And I think to myself, like, man, that was the best conversation I ever had. Like, why, why am I not recording this? This would be so useful. So I was like, you know what? Let me do a YouTube channel. I can teach. I love to teach and just have these like awesome conversations with people. So they're useful and beneficial uh, to me and edifying to me. And I, I'm sure others enjoy them as well. So um, uh, if you like the content, share it. And uh, thank you so much for your support and your uh, showing love to, to Sai. And we hope we see more of you uh, doing more videos and things like that. And looking oh, forward to doing some more stuff with you in the future. Whatever the Lord wills. And I want to also thank the people who are watching now and who watches in the future for their prayers. Because I know that people have not only been praying like for this interview, which, uh, you know, it was a little bit daunting to, to come back and have this discussion. But I know that people have been praying for me over the past year. And um, I covet those prayers. And I'm so thankful to God for you who are watching and who watches. So thanks a lot. Well, I'm sure a lot of people love you. I love you and I appreciate your uh, the work you've done for the Lord. And, um, you know, his word doesn't come back void. 
you know, we're imperfect people and God still uses, uses us for his glory. So very appreciative. And thank you so much for sharing and keeping people updated on what, what was going on. So, um, well, um, if there are no any, any last words, uh, from you brother, and uh, we'll wrap things up. And just again, um, thank you. And, uh, prayers to be appreciated prayers for our country during the, this crisis, because, um, Things are crazy up here, and I know it's uh, bad in the States, but, um, you know, pray that people don't put their trust in convoys or in governments, but they put their trust mm -hmm. in God. And, you know, one thing that I'm thinking, too, this convoy, it's a powerful message. You see brothers and sisters getting together, but I've never seen something like this for the murder of the unborn. Mm. You know, and, and wouldn't it be cool for there to be a convoy like this for, you know, against abortion, you know? And so... Um, it's almost like I want things to get back to how they were with the freedoms, but we don't deserve it. Our, our countries uh, should be in judgment. This world should be in judgment for the murder of the unborn. So it's almost like I don't want it to get to to get better unless people repent of that wickedness. Mm -hmm. So I mean, continue to pray that that the Lord um, does a work in this, and uh, hopefully that He uses this to save people to to bring in His elect. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that. Um, well, that is going to conclude our episode for today. Once again, thank you so much, guys. February 16th, I'll be having Brant Bosterman on to talk about the problem of the one and the many, the Trinity, the transcendental argument, and presuppositional apologetics. So if that is a topic that is in, of interest to you, um, tune in then. But that's it for this episode. Take just one second. I also encourage people to pray for Dr. White for his debate tomorrow. Oh, you can yes. How did I miss that? Dr. James White is going to be uh, having a debate in, um, in Texas on the topic of is Molinism biblical? He's going to be debating a, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Stratton of the Free Thinking Ministry. Um, and so that's going to be a super uh, interesting and informative uh, debate. Um, so you guys definitely want to check that out. Now, there was someone accusing me here, dodging a question. So I'm going to take this person's last question as we don't dodge questions. If I don't get to your question, it's probably because of time constraints or it gets lost in the comments. I've stayed in his house, so he's got to be a little bit nicer to you. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, OK. There's always one in the comments. He's a why, super nice. is, why is Cy not a Clarkian? Come on. <laughs> Are there Clarkians still around? Ooh, that was a little jab. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you want do you want to answer? Is there a reason why you're not a Clarkian? Or uh, I mean, we had this discussion when I was at his house too, and um, you know, I, I think uh, Clarkians that I engage with are hard determinists, and I used to I usually say to them, uh, "Are you a Clarkian because it's true, or because you have to be, because you're mm -hmm. predestined to be?" And so, no, he's a, he's a dear brother. Just uh, he's just trying to get my goat, but um, I love him and. Yeah. Um, Hey, brother. <laughs> well, I think I, I I think Clarkianism is fideism and uh, fideism just throws you into the basket of some form of skepticism. And uh, I'm not down. I don't yeah. jive with that. So the thing is, I I mean, just if I know, you know, we're extending this, but uh, Bonson actually sat down with Clark and they had a, a discussion. And, um, you know, I know that there were uh, the differences in the camps and I'm not a Clarkian, but I have sympathies to it because mm. I remember in one lecture. Brilliant. He was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Bronson in one lecture, he was at a, an evidentialist university and they said to him, how do we know that the uh, contrary is impossible? And Bronson said, well, the Bible says. Now, to me, that sounds a lot like Clarkianism, a lot like Fideism. And I think that there is something, and I don't want to open up a can of worms, but I think- Oh, you got me riling. I don't know, Cy, 
but no, I think we have to give uh, more grace uh, to the Clark. And I think that's what we have to do anyways. It's just, uh, you know, love each other more. And, and there are differences. And I think iron sharpens iron. I'm not a Clarkian, but um, yeah. I can see some of the, um, it doesn't mean that I'm on my way there, Josiah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I can see some of the, the points you're making. I think there's huge problems with it. And I think Bonson points out huge problems with it, but um, I love them. And I would stay in your house again, if they ever let me into your country. Well, I'm just going to hold my Bonson collection and ignore the fact that you almost suggested that he adopted some form of fideism. <laughs> no, well, when, when he said... Don't get me started! <laughs> he knows the contrary is impossible because the Bible says so. That's well, some... Well, I mean... Okay, I apologize. I'm, I'm so sorry. We, we need to end. I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to do a separate episode. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not a Clarkian. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. See what you did there, uh, Josiah. We're done here, man. Thank I'm you sure. so much. I know Josiah, he's, he is right now laughing, probably to the point of tears. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for the question, guys. Uh, that's it for this episode. Take care. God bless. And thanks again, Sai, for coming on. We love you, and we hope to see more of you, brother. God bless, thanks. everybody. Bye-bye. That almost had me going there.